Let's open our Bibles tonight, first of all, to Matthew chapter 28. I have about four scriptures I want to look at right off the bat, uh, and then we will be expounding on it. We'll be looking at a lot of scripture tonight, but this scripture, I believe, is significant. First of all, Matthew 28, starting with verse 18, it says, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth, uh, unto the end of the age. Amen. If you go to the end of the book of Mark, Mark 16, we again find a commission here, starting in verse 14. It says, After he appeared to the eleven, and they sat at table, and he rebuked them. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. What would Jesus do if he was to come into our midst tonight? Would he rebuke us for our unbelief and hardness of heart? These are people who had walked with him for three years, or three and a half years, and had seen mighty miracles done in his name. And he comes in and he rebukes them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, here it is, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Then if you go to the end of the book of Luke, Chapter 24, and verse 45, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So we see in the, at the end of each one of the first three Gospels, or the synoptic gospels, we find that Christ has commissioned his church to go. And then I want to look at one more scripture, Matthew 9. Matthew 9 and verse 35. 
And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing the sick, and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. In just a few short days, we will be coming into 1990, the decade of harvest. We've been praying for the decade of harvest. And the harvest truly is plenteous. We have been commissioned to go into this harvest to reap where we did not sow, to gather into the kingdom. The crisis facing Christianity set forth in the book Evangelism, the Unfinished Task by Robert J. Strand has this to say. Every day, about 345,000 people are born and 146,000 die. This translates into a net gain of 138 people per minute. 199,000 per day. 6 million per month. 72 million per year. Now keep in mind... There are about 138,000 more lost people in the world today than there was yesterday. And when you come to church next Sunday morning, there will be about a million more people without Christ than there was today. A harvest surely is plenteous. At the end of the year, there will be 50 million more people that need to be reached for Christ than there was at the beginning of the year. And Christ has commissioned you and I to go into the harvest field and gather these souls. Now, everyone who has not accepted Jesus Christ, no matter how morally good they are, on the way to hell.
Think of it. We just said that there's 50 million more people that need Christ every year. And they're going to a timeless eternity without Jesus Christ. That ought to grab our heart. That ought to do something to motivate us to reach souls for Jesus Christ. There's later reports out, but the one I looked at was a 1979 report. And you say, well, how is the Assemblies of God doing? I mean, that, that's what we're a part of, right? We're a part of a worldwide move of the Spirit of God, and it's called the Assemblies of God. How well are we doing at fulfilling the Great Commission? <clears throat> we won 163,780 people to Christ in that particular report of 1979. I don't know whether we're doing better or worse since Baker and swagger and some of these other things, but at that time, our growth rate was 63%. We were considered one of the fastest growing denominations in the world. Nothing to sneeze at. But at the rate of growth that we saw in 1979, it would take 671 years to win the loss to Christ. How many of you know we don't have 671 years left? <clears throat> We've got to get the job done. I must be about my father's business. I've got to do it today. I can't wait till tomorrow. I can't continually keep putting it off. We have got to win the loss for Christ today. And we've got to do better than we've done in the past. Amen? He said, I want you to go, th go therefore, because all authority has been given unto me, go you therefore and make disciples of all people, all nations. He didn't say, I want you to have them come to the altar and say a, a, a sinner's prayer and then let them go. You would be appalled at the amount of people who come to altars and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and then go back into the world. I think that the uh, number that are saved and stay saved throughout their life is only something like 
It's because we are not discipling them. It's not enough to get them to say a prayer. We've got to disciple them. First of all, I want to talk about the privilege of discipleship. It's the highest honor that a disciple is to have fellowship with his master. How much more honor could a person have than to have fellowship with Jesus Christ? What an honor! What a privilege! To have fellowship with Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is not only, he not only wants to save you, but he wants to fellowship with you. Hallelujah. And the greatest gift that a teacher can give to anyone is to reveal himself. Jesus Christ in John chapter 20, he came into the upper room where the doors were closed and he revealed himself to his disciples. He said, see my hands, thrust your hand into my side. He, w- he went to special lengths to reveal himself to those he was discipling. And I think that we who are to disciple men, somehow we get, they get the idea that we're so holy that they can never attain. Or he's no different than me. What, what's he got that I want? Somewhere we've got to reveal what's really in our heart. The love of Jesus Christ that's been put there by the Holy Spirit. If we're going to disciple men. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is, is you know, he said go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. How on earth am I going to go out there and here's a big guy, maybe uh, uh, six foot six and weigh uh, uh, 250 pounds. How am I going to compel him to come into my church? Love. It's the strongest force known. Love. And we, we just go out and we begin to love them in We begin to reveal ourselves unto them. We don't put on this holier-than-thou attitude. And it says in John 20 and verse 30 that he wrought signs in their presence. Jesus spent time with his disciples. And he put on display 
God who is in his heart. Amen? We have got to put Jesus on display. We're, it's not enough to tell people this is the way you have to live. We've got to show them this is the way. Walk ye in it. Hallelujah. We've got to spend time with people. Not just Sunday morning. You can't disciple a person just on Sunday morning. You've got to have an honest concern for them that reaches out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, as well as on Sunday. The word discipline in the English language comes from the word disciple. A disciple is a disciplined one. And we need to teach spiritual discipline. It isn't easy to say no to the flesh sometimes, but you can. It isn't easy to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but it can be done. And we've got to teach them, and we've got to show them. Amen? Secondly, I want to talk about the conditions of discipleship. You see, unless Jesus has first place, you can't be his disciple. He's got to be number one. If there's someone else ahead of Jesus Christ, then that's your God. No matter who it is or what it is. Look with me at Luke 14 and verse 26. says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, brother, sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you've got more of a love for someone else than you do for Jesus Christ, you can't be his disciple. That doesn't mean you've got to hate mom and dad, but it means in comparison to the love that you have for Jesus Christ. That's what it means. And there's, there's young people who have more of a love for someone of the opposite sex than they do for Jesus, and they go astray. There's husbands and wives who choose that mate rather than Jesus. You've got to put Jesus first. 
I will have no other gods before me. So, number one, you've got to have God first in your life if you want to be a disciple. And it, and it says even love for yourself. That's what it said here. Yes, it says even if uh, you have a brother, sister, yes, and his own life. Sometimes we're more concerned about our own comforts, our own life. We have more of a love for ourselves than we do for God. We're more concerned about our own comfort than we are about getting the things of God done. He says, if that's what it is, you can't be my disciple. I've got to come ahead of your own desires, your own comfort. There's a cross that has to be bare. Luke 14 Verse 27, he says, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know, a cross is an instrument of death. It was never meant as a thing of decoration or a piece of jewelry. A cross is a cruel, mean thing. It's a place where a person lays his life down. Jesus died on a cross on Calvary, but he bore a cross all his life. He died to his own desires and to his own wants that he might fulfill what the Father had sent him to do. He says, unless we're willing to bear our cross, we can't be his disciple. Matthew 10, 38 says, And he that taketh not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 24 and 25 the disciple is not above his master, nor a servant above his Lord. It is enough for a disciple to be, that he be as his master and a servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them that are of the household? Being a disciple is not some glorious thing, really, as far as the world's concerned. It's tough to be a disciple. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that being a disciple, you're going to have everything your own way. It's not true. It doesn't mean that you're going to have houses and barns and, uh, and automobiles and Cadillacs and what have you. Being a disciple is laying down the things of this world that you might... Do the will of God here and now. And they might call you a devil. They might call you a fanatic. They might call you all kinds of things. They did Jesus. 
But there must be a forsaking of everything. Look at verse 33 there of Luke 14. So likewise, whosoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Forsake all that he has. Listen, the choice is up to you and to me. If I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, i got to be willing to give up whatever it takes. If it means giving up my home, if it means traveling as a vagabond, Jesus said... Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He gave up everything, and he's our example. I am not saying that you will be called upon to give up everything, but you've got to make the decision, I am willing to give up everything if I'm going to be a disciple. And you know, a lot of us, we want to be disciples because we want to be thought well of. And then God makes the call, and he asks us to give up some little thing. You remember the rich young ruler? He came and he said, oh, Lord, what else must I do to be saved? I mean, I've kept all the commandments, and uh, I've, I've done this and I've done that. And He said, there's one thing yet you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And all of a sudden, he didn't want to be a disciple anymore. The cost was too high. Back in the days of, our, of the early church, it was very expensive to be a disciple. It meant if you were a Jew that as far as the rest of your family was concerned, you were dead. It meant renouncing your family. It meant that you might end up being a candle in Rome. They burned them at the stake and lit up the streets with Christians. We don't even have an idea what, what it means to lay down our life for Jesus. We haven't been called upon to do it. And what little God calls upon us to do in order to see a harvest, we begin to complain. We begin to, to make excuses. And the harvest field is plenteous. It would take us 300 and, what did I say, 671 years at the rate we're gone. And we've got to see that it's going to take everything that we can put into it. It's going to take an effort. It's going to take a sacrifice if we're going to win this world for Jesus.
1 John 2 and 15 it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want you to just think about death for a moment. Let's say God's going to call you home tomorrow. The first thing that you think of, got to write a will. I, what, what, about, what about all this, these things that I've gathered together? What, what about my bank accounts? Uh, uh, who's going to bury me? Where am I going to be buried at? And, and boy, you're, you're, you're thinking of everything that pertains to the world. Hey, I'm telling you, the world has a grip on us. It really does. And he says that if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And sometimes God calls upon us to do something, and we're so in love with our possessions and the things that we have that we're, we, we just come up and refuse to go and do what God told us to do. James and John, when they were called upon, they left their father, left the, left the nets hanging there and went. Peter, he, he had a lucrative business of fishing. James and John were his partners. He just left it all. Mark or Levi sitting there at the receipt of customs. Jesus comes along and he just up and... Can you imagine uh, what those tax collectors thought? He just walked off and left it all. That's a, a mark of a real disciple when you're willing to leave whatever it is. Just put it aside in order to follow Jesus. And there's some things that... God calls on us to put aside. I'd been a I'd been in electronics for twenty two years. There was a firm in Alabama that made radars for all of the weather stations and the, and the TVs and so forth, made these computerized televisions that just gave you readouts and different colors, and, and uh, they were the most sophisticated thing on the market at the time. And they told me, as soon as you retire, come on down. We'll put you right to work. Instead, I went to work for $75 a week.
But you know, I didn't miss it. They told me, you come be our preacher. If we, if we can't pay you, would you come anyway? How are you going to compare that with the pay that I could have been got, getting as a radar technician? But it was worth it. I just bought a, a brand new ranch house. Well, it wasn't brand new, almost new, just a few years old. Ranch-style home, swimming pool, two-and-a-half-car garage. All of a sudden, it was like an anchor around my neck. I didn't need it. How are you going to travel with a house? <laughs> Hallelujah. If you're going to be a disciple, you've got to be willing to give it all up. Anything you hang on to, it'll be a hindrance. You gotta be where Jesus wants you, regardless what the pay is. You're not looking for worldly pay, you're looking for heavenly pay. crown of life is given to those that are faithful to the end. Amen? And we're told that a disciple bears fruit. Bears fruit. And his fruit shall remain. It's not the Quantity, it's the quality. God has called us. We've been called of God to go and disciple people. That they might disciple people, that they might disciple people, that they might disciple people. And that's how the works are going to get done. You can't do it by yourself. You've got to make soul winners out of those that you've won for Jesus. And that's the only way we're going to, get, we're, we're going to see the harvest come in. You know, there was a man, he was healed of Jesus. He was... He'd been blind from birth, and he was healed of Jesus. And as he went before the Pharisees, the Pharisees began to say, Who is this guy that opened your eyes? And he said, I don't know what his name is, but this I do know. I was blind, and now I see. And they kept questioning him, questioning And he said, do you want to be his disciple also? 
And they, they, were, they were outraged. They couldn't be his disciple. They had never been touched by him, but this man had had a touch of God upon his life. And that's what it takes to be a disciple. When you're touched of God, your eyes are open, and you realize just how important this whole thing is. It's more than going to church. There's people perishing out there, and God has commissioned us. We're commissioned of God. We're ambassadors for God. This is not my home. I'm from heaven. I'm not of this world. Heaven is my home, and I'm on my way. Glory to God. They can have this world. There's nothing here I want. I'm going to use it for His glory. And that's what we got to do. We've got to use everything for the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. One last thing here. If we were to line up all the people in the world who are without Christ, they would make a line that would circle the globe 30 times. 25, what is it, 25,000 miles around the globe? Imagine a line that circles the globe 30 times. And it's growing at a rate of 20 miles a day. What are we going to do about it? Do we let these people go to hell? Or do we begin to work at discipling people? The only way we're going to overcome this situation is I've got to take someone and I've got to disciple them until the Christ that's in me is formed in them. Isn't that what Paul prayed? That Christ be formed in them? Amen? And we've got to work with that person until it happens. Till they're out discipling someone else. And if every one of us here are disciples and we're out discipling someone, and let's say it takes three years. At the end of three years, we will have twice as many people out discipling. And so on and so on. What would happen at the end of 10 years to this church if each one here discipled one person this year? We would double every year. At the end of 10 years, can you imagine? It can be done. We can win this town for Jesus. He 
said, All authority is given unto me. Go ye therefore. He's given us the power. It's up to us. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? It's not impossible, is it? It may mean that you've got to go out in the middle of a snowstorm. It may mean you have to go out when the roads are icy and the conditions are not fair. It may mean that you have to give up something. But oh, the eternal, eternal rewards. Hallelujah. George, would you close our gathering with a word of prayer?